Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke out there. Sean, phase two has begun. We've got some players on the ice, and it's really nice to see, isn't it? It's awesome. You know, a couple of teams have let out videos from their first sessions. Edmonton did it on Monday. Uh, Tampa Bay had a little video yesterday that they let out. Uh, And look, guys aren't doing a ton yet. They're just trying to get their feet under them, maybe passing the puck around a little bit. The Edmonton one, you know, with six guys standing around a face-off circle passing the puck (laughs) around. And and it was like food for the soul. I was so excited. and, And, you know, it was like opening day almost. You're like, oh, that's hockey. I remember that. And, and it's not, you know, an old game or anything. It's actually it's actually a suggestion of what's to come. And and it's tangible proof that we could start thinking about all those things that are going to come. The training camps, the qualifiers, and then, you know, knock on wood, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, no, it's June and we would be awarding the Stanley Cup around now. But it feels kind of like August when you see some guys starting to stream back in and get back on the ice. And Zach Hyman from the Toronto Maple Leafs, he was talking about how you know, it's mentally refreshing to get on the ice. Josh Bailey was saying that it's just where players are comfortable, so it's good to get back into that comfort zone. And, look, we don't know where it's going to go from here and how many teams are going to open, when they're going to open, uh, how many players are going to come back. But the fact that you're getting some teammates back together, uh, this is a good thing. It's a step in the right direction. And maybe, you know, a month from now, we can be talking about opening training camp in phase three and, and, and really now setting some dates and times and everything like that. Like I said, it hasn't been the same. And so much is different, right? And so much is going to be different. I, for me, some of the fun of people talking about, you know, getting back, you know, I, I think it was Matt Benning said, you know, I usually don't go more than two days without being on the ice and it's been three months. It was like starting over again and I'm not a good skater to begin with, uh, <laughs> you know, or the, the one that I really like was John Tavares saying that, it, you know, they're so limited in, in the way that they do this, uh, small group thing where it's six guys it's the same six guys every day you can't switch in and out of groups and because they're doing it that way you only have an hour at the rink you know get in get out and he's like I'm taping my sticks at home just so I have more time to be on the ice like it's it's like when you were a kid again right and you, your parents dressed you in the house yeah with everything <laughs> except for your skates or for me as a goalie your your big leg pads until you got to the rink so you could get there and get on the ice as fast as possible and take advantage of that whole hour that your parents were paying so much money um, for you to be able to skate on. So that, that's kind of what I, I actually laughed out loud when John said that because it, it reminded me of yeah. youth hockey almost. Yeah, I'd love to see Tavares rolling up to the rink and full stepping out of his car in full pads, you know, everything on except his skates and his helmet. Even his helmet, let's let that happen on too. That, pretty good. So the big show today, we got Travis Green. Uh, from the Vancouver Canucks, their coach. We'll have an interview with him in a little while. And we got Brian Compton, our colleague with NHL.com. We'll do a little roundtable with him. But the Coyotes, Sean, made big news this week with the hiring of Xavier Gutierrez as their new president, CEO, and alternate governor. He's the first Latino to hold such a position in the NHL. This is a big deal. And this is a bright man, by the way. I mean, he has a government degree from Harvard, a law degree from Stanford, a 20-year career in business working for Coyotes owner Alex Marullo, the first Latino owner in the NHL. So in that market, I think this whole thing makes a lot of sense. you got to cater to the entire fan base there. 
Oh, I agree. They, they have, look, they have a Spanish language broadcast that they do. I, I think they've done a really good job of community outreach. And look, I think they all know the next step, no matter what you do, the next step is you have to win, right? Like that's what's going to bring the fan base and that's what's going to engage them and going to bring them back. You know, we were talking earlier this week when I was doing a hit about, you know, what is the future of that Arizona market now that they've done this? And to me, it's, they have to continue what they built already, right? They're in the playoffs. Uh, they're in the play-in. You know, they're, they're going to play the Nashville Predators. If they can get a little bit of a run going here and, and figure some things out and, and continue that for the next couple of years, they're going to bring the fans back. I, I mean, look, I remember in 2000 and 2012, yeah. they were in the Western Conference Final against the LA Kings. Uh, myself and Corey Massasak, one of our friends and former colleagues, were, were covering that series, and we drove between L.A. and uh, Arizona, and look, that place was packed when they were playing the Kings in the Western Conference Final. There was an energy there, and you look, you, you need that. You can't have that once every 10 years. You need that on a regular basis. You yeah. need that on a regular season game, you know, in the middle of December, but you're going to build that through some sustained excellence and people knowing that the product you're putting on the ice is worth investing your emotion and your money in. And, and those are the steps that they seem to be taking now. Yeah, 100%. I actually did the first two games of that series out in Arizona for that Kings and Coyotes series. And it was electric in the building. It was electric around the Westgate and all that. But I, the biggest thing with this, um, yeah, win, I mean, winning, you got to win to bring the fans into the buildings. And I think that holds true with a lot of different markets. You know, I, I saw it in Columbus last year. I mean, the, the place was as loud of a building as I have been in because the Blue Jackets were winning. They were beating the Lightning. They had won a playoff round going into that Boston series. And, and the fans in the building and the, you know, the downtown area was electric. It was all Blue Jackets in a city that's dominated by Ohio State for much of the year. And Arizona has that ability, but it will be that much better if they can get the arena where they want it. And that's in downtown, that's in downtown, just the East Valley, whatever it may be. Uh, get that arena where their fan base is really centralized. A lot of guys have tried. No, none have come through yet, but that's Alex Marullo's uh, mandate here to do this with the Coyotes, and Xavier Gutierrez is going to try to help him do it, and they want to have plans in place for a new arena by the end of the year. Uh, that's what Alex Marullo said. So that is a huge element to the sustained success of the Coyotes. So their fans don't have to – I've done that drive, Sean, from the East Valley to the West Valley. It's a long drive in rush hour traffic in normal times, and – it's a tough haul to get there for a Tuesday night game. Not so difficult to get there if you're in the East Valley already. And that's, that's a big part of this whole thing with the Coyotes. It is for sure. And, and look, they need a new arena and they need it where they want it to be to, to cater to the majority of their fans. And you're right. That is exactly what their mandate's going to be. Until that happens, I will suggest, though, when you have to make that ride, make sure you download At The Ring Podcast. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and you might catch the whole thing. I mean, it depends how long we go, but you catch the whole thing on that entire ride because it can take a while. It really can. Uh, the nominees for the Masterton Trophy, Perseverance and Dedication to Hockey, are out. And it's always, to me, one of my favorite trophies, Sean. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the times what it is is something bad happened to me trophy, right? Like some something not that great happened, and, and that's why I'm nominated for this, and that's why I'm getting it. But – uh, there are some 
some great stories on this list. You always find that with the Masterton Trophy, and I always like telling these stories. And, you know, some of the names, first off, Connor McDavid, we, we know how good he is, but the major knee surgery, uh, Shea Theodore, the testicular cancer, Oscar Lindblom, obviously, in the fight against Ewing sarcoma, Jay Bowmeister um, with the heart issue, Stephen Johns, the concussion. There, there's so many good names. It, it is one of the more emotional trophies out there, isn't it? Look, you named a ton of guys, and you're like, wow, that's an impressive list. Yeah. Then there's the guys that we didn't even mention yet. There's Markstrom in Vancouver. We'll talk, you know, we'll talk with Travis a little bit about him. Um, Bobby Ryan in, 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 uh, in Ottawa, you know, he, he spoke yesterday and, and was really eloquent about the struggles he's gone through, um, you know, and, and to get back at the end of the year, have that hat-trick game and, and talk a little bit about his future and the fact that, you know, he wants to honor his contract. He thinks he can be a top six player again. So, and then, you know, you just have the guys that, that have soldiered along. Like, to me, one of the guys is, is Nolachari in Florida. Nothing bad's happened to him, but he's – He's lived that life, right, of, of always being on the edge of being an NHL player and and soldiering through and, and making himself better to the point now where he had a breakout year. Um, so, you know, the, the the gamut, it runs the gamut of, of who gets nominated for these awards. And I, and I like some of the – it's voted on by the PHWA, and I like some of the chapters who go beyond, you know, let, let's find the guy who missed the most games with injury and nominate him <laughs> because there are other stories. And, and you know, I, I think when you look at the 30, 31 stories that are being told there, that's a cross-section of what our game is about and what's beautiful about our game. Absolutely. Uh, you're hundred percent right. I remember a couple of years ago, Yager was, was the big Masterton guy. And, and I mean, is anybody more dedicated to the game of hockey than Yarmir Yager? I mean, it was, you know, like the guy has, he lives and breathes it. He still plays it in his Czech Republic. And um, you, there are so many, and Nolachari is a good example of that. There are so many, but then, then you get the stories though, right? I mean, the Oscar Lindblom story and, and, and we wish Oscar only the best and the Mark Letestu story uh, with the inflammation with myocarditis, the inflammation of the heart muscle. Um, all of these guys, Bobby Ryan taking the leave of absence to enter the player assistant program, they, they all do it and then they all return, want to do it. They all do it and then the goal is to return to hockey. It's their dedication to returning to their life, to what they know. Um, and any one of these guys, the ones that I mentioned, are, they are all deserving. That's the thing about it. it. It's like you don't want to just give out one trophy for this. How do you pick and choose between some of the things that these guys have gone through or what they do to do it? But it might be my favorite trophy because of all the stories that are involved in this. I love stories. We love stories. We love telling stories. Yeah. Two points on that. One is I love the fact that there's 31 finalists. And yeah. all the other trophies that we do, there's three finalists, right? We announce the three finalists, they go to Vegas. We announce all 31, or the PHWA announces all 31 finalists, and we amplify it. The other thing that you kind of snuck in there, and I want to circle back to, Yager News. Oh. He's going to play again next year. He is. He's not, he's not playing for the club he owns. He signed with another Czech club that's going to pay him while he still owns his other club. So what is he now, 44? Or I think, and he's playing 45, first division yeah. hockey in the Czech Republic. The man's a legend. He keeps putting off his Hall of Fame induction. That's what he's doing. <laughs> By playing, he can't be Hall of Fame eligible. He's got to be retired for three years, not playing at all, to get into the Hall of Fame. And, and obviously, he's going to the Hall of Fame. So Maybe he's waiting for somebody he wants to go into the Hall with. I, I highly doubt that. I think the guy's just he's, just, he's a legend who loves the game and doesn't know how to live without it. So good for him. He can keep going. He's in terrific shape. I mean, his... 
his workouts are, a th- are another thing of legend. And the fact that, like, when he played for the Devils, I love the story he told that he, he used to go and try to get the key to the building, right, to, to get in and all that. And when he was playing for the Devils, he said, I didn't need a key. Lou Lamarillo was always there, so it didn't matter. He just opened the door for him. <laughs> uh, before we get to our first guest, which is Tra- who is Travis Green, speaking of dedication to hockey, the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Uh, that came out this week. Evander Kane and Akima Lou are the co-heads. It's a seven-player alliance. Uh, I assume that will grow. Independent of the NHL, but the goal is to eradicate racism in hockey and focusing on youth hockey, and uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it. And focusing on youth hockey and continuing to have players speak out for racial justice following the death of George Floyd. We obviously know that's been a very big topic in our countries, uh, and I think this can be a very good thing, especially if they work with the NHL on this. They, they don't have to work to, you know, it doesn't have to be part of the NHL, but working with the NHL, who have, the goals are aligned. So let's have that hockey alliance work with the NHL and, and really bring about some, some radical change here. Yeah, and I think it's good for the players, for these players to have their thing and and, and to kind of control it and say, you know, these are the goals we have. And if the NHL can help amplify them, that's great. You know, and we can go on and do our own things. I know guys like Wayne Simmons are involved in it. And there's already been talk about, you know, having some women members and and expanding it. Look, it's in its infancy, and it can go almost anywhere. And that's the – I think that's the one thing that's come out of a really – hard month for for all of North America, Canada, the United States, and the world, you know, is, is that there's hope coming out of all this, of, of change that could be on the horizon. Um, you know, there's, there's some positivity that all the protests and everything that's happening is actually causing change. And you can see that starting to manifest itself in hockey as well. Yeah, and I thought it was very interesting when Matt Dumba from the Minnesota Wild said he's part of this as well. Um, he said that it's important for the alliance to focus on youth hockey, you know, focus on that grassroots level to stop the racial slurs, the, der- the derogatory language that players and parents hear in in the small rinks around the country, around the, you know the continent, around the world. Um, so you know that are used against these players of color, it, you know. He wants to see the day, and I thought this was very interesting, Dumbo said he wants to see the day when parents of players of color no longer need to have, quote-unquote, the talk about race with their child at the rink. And I think we all would love that. And if they can focus on the youth in this game, that is where change is made. I mean, we talk to our kids about this, and this is about the game and focusing on the youth and, and to, to, to make changes there. That, that will be an enormous uh, positive influence. I think this can have a huge positive influence, and the NHL is aligned with it as they're they're forming the Executive Inclusion Council that involves players, fans, and a youth inclusion committee. So lots of good can come out of all this. Yeah, man. Look, none of us are born with hate. We all learn it wherever we do. You know, if we're unfortunate enough to, we learn it at the rink, we learn it at school, you know, from our parents, whatever it is. So anything you can do to, to help eradicate that is only a positive. Absolutely. Well, we teased it enough, so let's get to Travis Green, the coach of the Vancouver Canucks. They are in the Stanley Cup qualifier. They'll play the Minnesota Wild. And here's that interview with Travis Green. Travis, thank you so much for joining us. How, how you been? How you holding up through all this? Well, it's uh, well. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, it's it's. I think people ask seem to ask everyone asks everyone else how they're doing, 
And I think uh, within society right now, it seems like, you know, it's a lot of the same for everyone. Uh, you know, with since the season's been shut down, there's been there's up days, there's down days, and uh, you're trying to get through it. One of, one of the things about the pause has been it's kind of been a journey of discovery, and, and I'm I'm curious what you've learned most, what you've the biggest thing you've learned about yourself in this time, and, and you know, looking at your team, what you may have picked up, and kind of you know, studying them and trying to figure out what you're going to do when you get back. Well, as far as personally, I've, I'm I'm probably feeling uh, man as rested and and uh, <laughs> as probably healthy as I've been for almost since I stop playing uh you know when you get into the coaching grind um you're just going the whole time and uh if anything i've probably learned that i've got to kind of take a little more time for myself once in a while just even to work out and, and stay healthy that way I've, I've tried to get into a routine here uh, much like we've told our players of finding a routine daily and and you know i started working out a lot more uh getting a little more rest and how important that is and how you feel about yourself uh it was a little bit of a wake up for me but uh also just you know we've done a lot of work as a coaching staff through this this pause uh it's a little bit different when you're you're doing very similar work to year end uh things you do at the end of a season uh but yet you've got a good chance of playing again so We've just been concentrating on our team as far as our, our areas of strength from the past season that we liked, um, areas of weaknesses or concerns and, and <clears throat> where we have to improve. But also, how are we going to improve it? Uh, you know, are we capable of improving it? And, and if so, how can it be done without taking, taking away areas of our strengths? And, and I think it's, it's been good for our coaches. Uh, I think we've we had a pretty good idea going into the this break on things that we liked with our teams and, and things you didn't you kind of some things you just always know and areas we need to get better at but i think we've been able to look at it maybe a little bit different and teach it a little bit different and, and do some some more work individually with some of our players to help us in those areas as well that's all with the team. And, and since the NHL announced the return to play plan, you, you finally have an opponent to look at, but I kind of right. see this Travis. It's sort of like, it's like you're a college football coach preparing for a bowl game because your season ends in November and the bowl game is not yeah. until January. How, how is this going to be? What, what's your philosophy on how to prepare for the Minnesota wild given that, I mean, you might, you're not playing it for two months possibly. Yeah, no, I know. And that's where it's been, I mean, I've put out kind of a timeline on where I think we need to, you know, a rough timeline. It's not set in stone yet because there's still a lot of, I guess, unanswered dates. So I think as coaches, sometimes we we can tend to get obsessed about things, I guess is a better way yeah. of saying it. Where, <laughs> and I've tried to be careful with our staff and myself even to, to not try to get everything done, you know, that first week where they announced uh, the, the 24 teams, you know, even myself, I found myself, I was, I, all of a sudden in two days, I had everything mapped out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Uh, we had a couple of zoom calls with our coaches right away. And then, and then I took the weekend and kind of just said, you know what, I got to kind of hit the brakes a little bit here again. Uh, I don't need to sit and spend six weeks watching Minnesota play. Um, 
I've got, you know, we've got lots of time to do that. Uh, it is a little bit uncharted waters because you, you haven't done this before and we've got to make sure that first and foremost, I want our team to be ready to play uh, because that, if we're, if we're not, you know, we don't have a chance to win anyway. So, but we've got plenty of time to, to prep for Minnesota, uh, you know, do your pre-scout, obviously a little bit more uh, in depth. Uh, both both teams will have a good idea of, or a great idea of, of, of the other, and you'll see that in all eight matchups. So uh, you might even see some tweaks within system play with teams because you're going to have a long enough camp that you can you can change things. And, and uh, so we'll, we'll take care of that before we get into camp and have it, have it mapped out how we'll talk to our team, how we'll show our team, and and we'll definitely start training camp just as a refresh on our own stuff because I think it's vital that we get our own team uh, playing its best game because the NHL is one of those leagues where if you don't bring your best, you're not going to win anyway. And obviously that's the most important thing that you can do is is make your team ready. Up, you know. But I thought you brought up an interesting point in that um, you know, as you try and pre-scout and everything, by the time we get back to playing, the Minnesota Wild could be a vastly different team than they were the last time you saw them or even the last time you saw them on tape or any team just because of the health of players. And, you know, is there a concern that teams are going to, much like you're doing some self-scouting, teams are going to do self-scouting and say, wow, we're really predictable in what we do on the power play or the penalty kill. And, you know, will you have enough time or will teams have enough time to change those things? I think the great thing about hockey is it's so fluid. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's not like football. It's it's not like basketball. Um, there's so much. It's so fast, and and there's so much un, uh, unpredictable plays that I don't think you're ever just gonna. You could take a whole year and prepare for a team, and and you don't know what everyone's gonna do on the ice. You just can't. And you know, don't kid yourself. The teams that prepare for for power plays and penalty kills during the regular season, uh, they're doing it a long time ahead, like games ahead for each team. So that, that you know, you are preparing, uh, and they're gonna they're gonna look at different options. You're you're gonna do that, and it doesn't mean that you're gonna take it away either in the in the in the game of hockey. You you can know what a team's gonna do, and they still get it done. That's why. You know, you see Alex Ovechkin score a lot of goals from one side. Everyone knows it's coming to him, but no one's quite figured out how to stop him. So, uh, you know, I, I don't worry about it. Uh, I think it's there. Uh, b- both teams are going to be very prepared to play. All 16 teams are going to be. Uh, but again, the game is played with speed and finesse and tenacity and skill and compete uh, and your will to win. And those are going to be those are going to be the things that really determine uh, who wins a series. How hard are you willing to play? Uh, are you willing to buy into the system? Are you willing to sacrifice? And at the end of the day, the best team, a lot of nights wins. And I don't think that's going to be any different now. You know, Travis, it's interesting. I, when they announced the return to play and the 24 teams, I was thinking, like, who benefits from this the the most win or lose right win or lose right. or move on or you're not who benefits the most and i thought immediately of your team and, and i guess at the rangers in the eastern conference too just teams with a lot of youth who don't have experience playing in a series uh, at the nhl level and even if we're not calling it the playoffs or calling it the qualifying round but petterson and besser and you know hughes yeah. and Vertanen and horvat so can can you is this the big moment people look at experience and say well that matters but 
getting this experience, almost, you know, invited to get it. How, how big is that moment for your team? How big can this be, win or lose? Uh, it's big. Um, no doubt about it. I think for young teams, you want you want them to gain experience. You want them to, you want to push them also to go as far as they can. I, I will say out in Vancouver, you know, a lot of media coverage and we talked at the beginning of this year, everyone wants to know what your plans are, what your goals are. Uh, and we broke it down simply that, you know, our expectations are to get better every season. Uh, we've talked about that for a couple of years. We want to become a better hockey club every year. We're young. We need to get better. But, in, you know, with that expectation of getting better, that should push us to playing games that, you know, in, that are going to matter in April, March and April. And that was our goal this year. Uh, get to that spot where we're playing games that matter and we get into the playoffs. That, that should be our goal. Try to get to the playoffs. But expectations are something different, and, and we wanted to become a better hockey team than we were the year before, and that was a mandate. And uh, I think we've done that. And now that we've, we're going to play these games that matter, we think it's so vital for our team, and we know that it's not something that I, I'm going to talk about with our group. Now that we're there, uh, this is about winning, and this is about our group being ready to play to win and, and pushing our young guys to to exceed and embrace it. And we're not going in this just being happy to, to play this game, this series against Minnesota. We're going to talk about being the last team standing in June. Or mm. uh, yeah. I shouldn't say June, but at the not end of the June. season. And, and that's, <laughs> that's the, you know, that's the mindset of a winning team. And, and we want to, you know, we want a culture that uh, all you all you care about is winning and winning the last game and doing whatever it takes. And, and if you come up short of your goal, at least you know that you've you've gone into it with that attitude. And and around our city, we got to be careful with our players that we don't just, hey, you're playing these important games now. That's great. Uh, that's not the mindset of the guys uh, in the locker room. There's going to be a ton of change in the playoffs this year, just in the way they're done, the the qualifying round, everything else. But to me, it seems one of the most practical changes, and and one of the things that could most benefit a, a team like yours is with the hub cities, there's a lot less travel while there's a lot of issues with being in a hub city, you know, Vancouver and, and a lot of those West coast teams are, have a difficulty in the playoffs because of the, the travel impact that they usually right. have to do, especially if they draw a team like a Minnesota that's in the middle of the country. Like that's a hard travel right. series. And now it's not, how big, a, how big a factor is that? Uh, you know, I, I think it, it, it'll be a factor for, for the teams that uh, go two rounds, three rounds, you know, once you get to the end of the of the road, you you uh, when you start getting to the semifinals and finals, that that starts to add up, you know. And and on the flip side, some teams might say, you know what, we we feel like we're a better skating club. Uh, we want the travel. We want guys to get tired because we're gonna we're gonna be better at the end of the series. So uh, I've learned quickly my first three years to to control and worry about the things that you can control and uh try not to overthink the things you don't so i think this is uh this is one of those these this situations where you know what at the end of the day it's it's all going to be the same for both teams and uh i try not to worry about those other things and, and say what if or why jacob marsham healthy he's all good now 
Yeah. Ready to go? Yeah, really as good. As far as you know? Yeah, he's great. Okay. No, he's 100% uh, good to go. What, he doesn't have any playoff experience, um, but he ha- he's had a he was having a, a terrific season until the injury. I got to think you think he's a big game goalie. What have you seen from him that allows you to believe he can be a big game goalie? Uh, well, a couple things. Um, <clears throat> I obviously had him. I had him in Utica when we went to the finals. Right. Uh, Marky and I have been together for quite a long time. <clears throat> I've watched, and and I know his competitive spirit, his the nature of 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 him as a person, and how bad he wants to win. <clears throat> but I've also watched how he uh, how he how he has matured over the years, um, into controlling his competitive fire and and certain moments in the year. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind, and, and I'm 100% sure he's this playoff hockey is, is you know he's made for that. He likes big games, he wants it, and and uh, you know that's what you want in your goalie. And uh, but until you get there, and, and I can see why people will talk about it. Until you get there, there people are going to talk about it, and uh, that's okay too. But uh, we've got a lot of faith in in Marky and I and. For me, he's had a phenomenal season. He's a phenomenal goalie, and he's and uh, you know he's a big part of our success. You know, as as hardcore hockey fans, we've spent all year kind of marveling at Quinn Hughes and what he's been able to do in his first year. But this this playoffs scenario is going to allow casual fans to maybe see him for the first time. What is what is it about him that struck you the most as you kind of watched him develop even through this year? Oh. Well, that's it's an easy question, but it's it's complex a little bit. He's um, probably what what it, what has impressed me the most is his ability to just stay humble, um, stay in the moment, not get uh, ahead of himself, not not get too down if he uh, if things if he's having a rough night or a bad play. I think uh, you know the best players. They have a quality in them that they they can make a mistake and, and continue to play their game and not get rattled. But also his like I touched on the humble part. Uh, he's a great kid. He can take criticism uh, and not get his feelings hurt. Um, and you can be honest with him about his play, which is important with young players that they can assess and self-assess and, and take criticism. Um, and actually listen, and, and he's a joy to coach. He's obviously everyone sees the skill level of him, his skating, his hockey sense, you know, his passing, and you know he's got all that stuff. Uh, but it's his willingness to learn and and become better. Uh, he doesn't. He's not satisfied with just being a good player. He wants to be. He wants to be a great player, and that's I think what you need. All your all the elite players have that in them. <clears throat> is is that something you pick up on? from him right away, you know, in the first, you know, or I guess in training camp, or does it take some time to, to learn those traits about, about a player like him and, and what he can do and, and his, his drive? Yeah, I think it takes a little bit of time, but you know, I'm a big believer in getting to know your players uh, beforehand, even talking to people about, about a player, checking in with people that know him. We had the, you know, we had the opportunity of, of having him for five games the year before, which was good for not only for him, but for us as coaches, just to, to be around and, and get to know him uh, on a personal level 
more just to see how he interacts with his teammates, how his coaches on the bench. Uh, you know, even when you talk to a player, some guys in the heat of the game, they can have a hard time uh, taking a little bit of criticism or a heated comment from a coach that happens a lot. And uh, I think it's important that as a coach that you're always aware of those situations and, and how a player reacts, uh, you know, and, and maybe you've got to be careful a little bit in how you talk to certain players. It's not always just the responsibility of the player to be able to handle it. It's also the responsibility mm -hmm. of the coach to, to understand what a player can handle and, and what he can't. And, and ultimately as a coach, it's our job to get the best out of players. Uh, and still there's a fine line between teaching young players and the way you probably should be in areas that they have to be better. So, and sometimes that's part of it. Being able to take a little bit of criticism is part of becoming better as a young player. So, I mean, it's a long answer, but uh, I'll hopefully give you a little insight onto how we've handled him. For sure. You know, we, we talked a little bit when we started this about the playoffs and about Minnesota, but we'd be remiss if we didn't get – you can't get too far into it because, like Dan said, it's too far away. But when you look at um, that Minnesota team and the matchup, you guys are so even in almost every area, almost yeah. the same amount of points. Uh, almost the same goal differential, uh, everything about him. When you look at the Minnesota Wild, what's the first thing that kind of jumps into your mind and, and your biggest concern? One thing that surprised me is, uh, like you said, when I when I went through and just kind of did a little bit of a study on him, I haven't, we haven't gone too deep yet. But uh, I think when people think about Minnesota, they, they think, tend to think about their defensive structure and how well they are defensively. Uh, and then I looked and I, I, I was surprised. Yeah, I think they were 10th or 11th in goals per game, maybe 12th in the league. Um, and yet they didn't have, I don't think they have a top 50 goal scorer. So, or a top 50, uh, a guy in the top 50 for points. <clears throat> so obviously they've, they've got depth. They score with depth throughout their lineup and, and their defenseman has scored uh, 43 44, don't quote me on that, goals. Uh, so they've, they've got a lot of depth. Uh, they've got some veteran guys on their team that have played in a lot of big games as well. And they've got a, a, on their back end, they're, they're well, you know, they're great defenders, but they also score. So, um, you know, that just off the top, that's kind of what I see with Minnesota. And, and you're right, I think it is, a, you look at it, we're separated by one point. There might not be a closer matchup in, in the first round there yeah no doubt it should it, it should absolutely be interesting one one last one for me just a little housekeeping i guess i wanted to i asked you about mark you said he's ready to go what what about what do you know so far about josh levo and michael furland who are both out levo with the knee and furland with the concussion and what their availability for you guys might be and if they are available how does that change things you know what what does that do for you guys well, I think that's part of the preparation that we're talking about as coaches. Um, as much as we want to prepare and know what, you know, have an idea of what we're going to go with, it's going to be a little bit up in the air for us. We, we, you know, it's been one of those seasons where we've had some guys, a lot of guys out again, and uh, we've been fortunate to have some depth up front. Uh, you know, Levo, he's not a household name, but He's a good player. He's been a good player for our team, and we missed him this year. And obviously, with Furlan being out most of the season, 
you know, a big free agent signing for us last year. It, it, it was uh, disheartening to see him out of the lineup, not just for us as a team, but for him personally, what he went through. And we're hoping they're both available. Uh, and, you know, I think they're on pace to be. Uh, I know I talked to Furley about two weeks ago, and he's feeling good. So uh, that would give us other options. I think it is, some of our lines will have to almost be a wait and see a little bit when we get to training camp, which I'm fine with. Our, our guys, you know, if we have to make some changes after a week into camp because one guy can or can't go, we'll we'll, we'll make that adjustment. Last one for me, and, and again, we really appreciate you doing this. I, I want you to put put on your look into the future hat a little bit. When you get your team back and you're getting ready to play, what do you think is going to be the thing that's going to be most difficult to get back? You know, we, we had Brian Boucher on a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about goaltenders and how they might be behind the defense. But I, I'm curious, is it, is it going to be rhythm-based things? Is it going to be like power play, PK, like things that are – really repetitive or is it going to be something else that you're most concerned about finding your way back with your team? I think it's important to get your pace. Uh, your skating pace is probably for me, the, the biggest thing I think, uh, you know, with that pace in the game becomes your play with the puck. Uh, but I, I think how I word it right. Uh, as camp goes on, guys are going to feel good with the puck. They're going to be around players. Every coach is going to put them through, drill as many drills as they can to be game-like but it's really hard to mimic the speed and the pace of of games that are as intense as they're going to be so I think that's going to be important uh, trying to find a way to get your team to that level and the teams that can get to that level the quickest uh, will probably have a huge advantage especially on a short shortened series like a best of five yeah, no doubt. The best of five is going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out. Travis, thanks for all the time. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, it was fun. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to catch up there with Travis Green, coach of the Vancouver Canucks. And, Sean, I think they're a legit sleeper team if this thing all comes around in the Stanley Cup qualifier and, and to go deeper. I, I think with their goaltending, a healthy Jacob Markstrom, uh, their, their skill, they're fast, they're fun, they're elusive, they're a lot – they're a lot of fun to watch. I think they're a dangerous team in the Western Conference. Well, I agree 100%. Like, and I think the two biggest things is they can score. They have guys that can score, and it's not a one-man show. So if one guy gets shut down, um, you know, they're they're kind of struggling for offense. And like you said, they're fast and they're young, and I think they're going to come, come out of this break and be able to get to their game relatively quicker than maybe some other teams will be able to, including the Wild, who have a lot of older players on their team. So, you know, we're, we're just kind of guessing right now. But if I were to look at it, you know, two months from now, and I were to say, uh, when I look at that series, I see the Vancouver Canucks having the advantage for sure. Tell me if you agree, because I think you do, based on what you just said, that the teams who are young, who have some of those younger legs, maybe a little bit of hunger, uh, I, I think that those teams are going to be the ones that can jump out and, and go get going faster, whether it be in training camp and then jump out and get playing faster just because of the way their styles of play allow that to be. I, I It's why I maybe I worry a little bit about the St. Louis Blues, about, about the Washington Capitals, even about the Boston Bruins because, and you said the Wild too, got a little bit of older legs. Um, you know, it takes maybe a little bit of time to get those things up and running again. Whereas the Canucks, I mean, I think they're with Hughes and Pedersen and Besser and Horvat and, and for 10 and a healthy Markstrom, I think they come off flying. 
Yeah, look, I mean, it's just human nature. I, I, you know, I go for bike rides with my son. He's 15. You know, he wakes up the next morning. He's ready to do the next <laughs> thing. It takes me two hours to be able to, you know, walk out the door. So um, clearly hockey players are in better shape than I am. So it, it's not a completely apt analogy. But I do think there's some of that there. But it's also, look, the flip is there too. Guys like Zdeno Chara and, and players like that, Zach Parisi, they've had a lot of downtime to kind of – yeah. revive from a very long grind that they've already been through. They've played 85% of their NHL season. So, um, you know, I, I think we have some preconceived notions, but they're going to change. But I think the other interesting thing about the Minnesota-Vancouver series and, and some of these other series we talk about is goaltending, right? Like, yeah. Because you don't know what's going to happen. We've talked about having two goaltenders being a luxury like the Bruins have um, and the Dallas Stars have where, you know, both goaltenders are very good and, and one's a clear number one and one's a clear number two but teams that don't have that these are huge headaches for their coaches right like what does Minnesota do like that you, you could argue that Staylock or Dubnik and the decision that Dean Everson makes could define his future right if he picks right and they win he gets the job for good if he picks wrong and they flame out you know maybe they go in another direction so these are huge decisions you got the same thing in 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 uh, Nashville, where David Poyle went on the radio this week and said, you know what, UC Soros has to win that job in training camp. UC Soros was by far the better of the two goalies, um, you know, in the regular season. It wasn't even a contest, and now they're going to have a two-week training camp, and, you know, Pekka Rene is going to be on equal footing. And maybe that's right, because Pekka's got 90 playoff games, got them to the Stanley Cup finals, is two years removed from the Vezina. Maybe he solved the problems that he had this year. But to me, I think coming back, those goaltender decisions, we're going to be spending a lot of time on the keyboard with those. I 100% agree. And I'd even give you Dallas. I mean, I know they're not playing in a qualifier. They're in the round robin. But Ben Bishop's a terrific goalie, and he's been great. But Anton Hudobin was having a remarkable season as a backup. So, I mean, if you're Rick Bonus and, and you're getting in and Bishop falters a little bit, you got to – do you make that quick switch to go to Hudobin to, to, to get you going once you get into that round of 16 because you know you're going to be there? There's a lot of decisions there. Minnesota is a very interesting one. Uh, Dubnik was not having a good year. He had a rough season, you know, very, you know, had some personal you know, things going on there with him and his wife and, um, and health issues. And, and Stalock was there, and he was okay. He wasn't great, but he was better than Dubnik was. So, But you wonder, too, with this – time away and again I go back to that interview I had with that we did with uh, Brian Boucher where he said the uh, you know the, the shooters are going to be ahead of the goalies it's whichever goalie comes out of training camp ahead of the shooter is the one you have to go with you cannot just say well this guy's got 90 games of NHL experience a playoff experience and he has none if UC Saros is ahead of the shooters and Pecorine is not you've got to go with UC Saros yeah it's a short series especially in that qualifying round you have to make that difficult decision and there are only if you look around there's only a handful of teams uh that have decisions that are probably readily made for them i mean we think about the rangers carolina series there's a there's five goaltenders that could play in that series which is kind of crazy to think about but it legitimately could happen yeah and i think the other thing you have to look at and this is something that you know i'm going to have you know, maybe Kevin Woodley, our goalie guy, look at in, in the next couple of months is I think it would be educational to see who starts fast, right, among those goalies like you're talking about. Yeah. Like, it pops into my head right now, Sergei Bobrovsky never starts fast. 
He finishes strong. Like you think about it, all even those Vezina years he had, he struggled in the beginning and he came on late. You know, what if he's a slow starter coming out of the gates now for Florida? You don't you don't have a runway. You don't have time to get your goalie right and say, you know what, we're gonna give him seven games and at the end of seven games he's gonna figure it out. You might only get five. You might only yeah. get three. So, you know, I'm I'm curious to see who those hot, hot starting goaltenders are and how that translates to the playoffs. One last thing before we get to our next guest, uh, Brian Compton, Ducks general manager, Bob Murray, walked back some of his comments that were critical of coach Dallas Aikens and his first season. Um, Murray fell on a sword a little bit this week after putting some blame on Aikens for taking his foot off the gas last week. He kind of fell on the sword this week and said, you know, he tried to distance himself from it, give Dallas the space that he needed uh, this season. But at, you know, hindsight being what it is, basically he said, I should have been involved more. I need to be more involved. What'd you make of that? What'd you make of Bob Murray's comments? Well, A, I think he's a good leader in that he he read, you know, the room afterwards and was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that yeah. to your coach, um, you know, and, and did what was the right thing. But the one thing I didn't see in those comments was he didn't walk back what he said about the young players in that oh, room. Oh, he did not. And, no. and that, to me, was more telling than, you know, look, he said, I, I, I think that Dallas Eakins got rid of all the bad habits he had in his first NHL job when he was too hard on the young players and, you know, I need to be more involved. But he also said that the young players got away with everything in, in Anaheim and, you know, intimated that some of that was Dallas trying to pull ease up on the reins a little bit. But it's NHL. Your young players, any player that has the opportunity and the privilege to put on a sweater in this league has to be accountable for what they do. And the fact that he stuck with those words and didn't walk those back to me was the most telling part of that. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting, too, because Dallas came up to Anaheim with a number of those players. He coached a number of those players in San Diego, and they had success in the American Hockey League. But that's a developmental league. That's the time where you're like, okay, uh, it's all right. We'll handle it. This is, this is how we're going to handle it. We're going to make a mistake here. That's okay. You're in the big show right now, and if you're not in, you're out. That's the, that type of thing. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Dallas Akins and these young players with Anaheim handle next season and how Bob Murray handles it. I don't believe Bob Murray's not a guy that quickly changes coaches. Uh, that is not his MO has not been as a GM. Uh, but Bob Murray does understands the importance of winning in Anaheim. We were just talking about the importance of winning in Arizona and the importance of winning uh, in other markets like that. Anaheim is one of them. And if they don't start winning some games here and they were struggling this year, then it's going to be very interesting to see how this happens because maybe he starts wondering, do I have the wrong young players? Yeah, and the, and the players have to advance, right? Like, that's the thing. Yeah. He's a developmental coach, and none of those young players took a huge jump forward in their first kick it full-time NHL duty. I think in year two, you need to see that. Or again, you need to kind of look at what you're trying to do and revisit it. All right. Well, we got Brian Compton now. So let's jump around the, the league a little bit with him. We'll, we'll start with the Islanders. But Brian, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Always a pleasure, gentlemen. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, look, first of all, Brian, we got to thank you. I know you carved time out of your day today. Today was graduation <laughs> day in the Compton household. So thanks for, you know, on a very special day, taking a little time to talk hockey here. Yet another reminder of how old I am. I no longer have children in elementary school. It's frightening. <laughs> oh, I just have one coming out of elementary school, but I got one going in. So, but It I, goes I, fast, I think, brother. 
but I think we're the same age anyway. So <laughs> you just started <laughs> earlier. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to the let's get to the Islanders. Uh, so you 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 caught up with Josh Bailey earlier this week. They were yep. they're on the ice. Um, they weren't very good before the pause in the season. They were 0-3 and four in their final seven games, two seven and four in their last thirteen. What do you make of the Islanders now after all this time off? What, what, what kind of what are we looking at in terms of the Islanders as a team and their chances uh, once we get back to playing? Yeah, I spoke to Josh about the skid, and he said, you got to throw it out the window the same way you throw out our 17-game point streak earlier in the year out the window. None of it matters. Once the puck drops uh, in August or whenever it's going to be, uh, Barry Trotz, when I spoke with him shortly after the, the pause, was confident that they were going to make the playoffs. He thought that they were about to turn the corner. Uh, Casey Zizekas was about to come back. Johnny Boychuk, thankfully, was going to be okay after that frightening incident uh, against the Canadians in late uh, February there. So um, I, I think that they're going to be a tough out. I really do. The last time I spoke to you guys, if you remember, when they got Pajot, they never got to see him with Zizekas in the lineup. And that was really the crux of the trade, to be even deeper down the middle. So uh, you combine that with Adam Pellick being healthy and ready to go. He's their best shutdown defenseman. You saw the job that he and Ryan Pollock did against the Penguins there in the first round of the playoffs last year. So uh, I think they're going to be a tough out when we get underway here. Look, I look at that team and I see you talked about the first round of the playoffs last year, and that was that was a series that I covered, and and, and I see so many similarities to that team. You got to find a goalie that you trust and, and that you're going to kind of stick with. And you know, where do you see that kind of shaking out at this point? Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. I think Barlamov's going to be the starter for Game One for sure, but if he falters because it's going to be a best of five. Does Barry have a quick trigger finger there? Because Thomas Grice was so – I mean, I know it was four years ago, but Grice was so good in the playoffs uh, in 2016 after Yaroslav Halak got hurt. So uh, he has two capable goalies, but it's going to be a question of how Varlama fares in game one if he's going to continue to play after that. We'll see. Are you sick of the questions yet about the goalie that's not with the Islanders, Sorokin, <laughs> and when he's going to come? It seems like every day there's something new. He's got a new agent now in North America, Dan Milstein, right? Yeah, and Lou's obviously not giving us a whole lot. There's no update. Basically, here's what's going on. If he's allowed to sign for 2019-20, he's coming. If he's not, who knows if, if he's ever going to be here, really, because uh, he's, he wants to get rid of that entry-level contract and cash in uh, for next season. And if, he, and if he can't do that, it's going to be awful for the Islanders to get him to sign on the dotted line. And it's going to be even harder – because of the way the seasons might be staggered now, yeah. if the if the KHL decides to play in its normal window and the NHL gets pushed back because we're going so deep into the summer to play, those players who start in the in the European leagues they can't come over. It's the same thing for the players that get drafted this year. The one, two, and three guys, you know, they won't be able to come over and play if they start in the Swedish league or the Finnish league or the KHL. So, you know, that's another wrinkle that's going to be thrown in there. If he wants to play hockey right away and he decides to play in the KHL again, that's another year that's going to pass. Yeah, but he wants to come here. I mean, that's it's it's the pandemic really threw a wrench in everything because it was all but a formality that he was coming before all this went down. Uh, and now that we haven't decided – or it's been decided and we don't we just don't know yet if he's going to be allowed to sign for 2019-20. He's not going to play if he does. He just it's a matter of getting rid of that contract and if he can't uh, he's so comfortable over there. What's another year? It's probably what is going through his mind right now. What about the other side of this series? Another Russian goalie, right? So you got Sergei Bobrovsky who I think has a chance to make a major rebound with a fresh start. He did not have a good first year uh, with the Panthers. 
Is he the biggest concern for the Islanders when they get back up and playing? I think he's the biggest concern for the Panthers for the, for the reasons you just mentioned, Dan. <laughs> true, because look, true. At, he has not been good. I mean, this is the worst GAA that he's ever had. It's the lowest save percentage that he's had in five years, I think it is. So um, if he's not good, I don't see any way the Panthers can win this series. I think uh, on the flip side, the point you're trying to make, he, can he steal this series? Absolutely. Can he build off the postseason he had last year with Columbus sweeping Tampa Bay? Absolutely. Um, and for the reasons we were talking about before, you have to throw everything that's happened really out the window. So this is a fresh start for him, but he has to be good if Florida has any chance of winning the series. You know, and I, I look at that Florida team, and, and, and they're pretty deep, you know, and, and they're they're young. We talked about that a little bit. You know, I, I think some teams with a lot of youth are going to be able to get out of the gates faster. But I see this being a series that could be as good as the last time they played in the playoffs, and that was – you know, that was an epic seven-game series that was one of the more fun series I've seen in the last couple of years. And the Panthers were so much better than them, five-on-five. Five. I mean, it really wasn't even close. The owners won that series for two reasons, John Tavares and Thomas Grice. That's it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Florida was better in every other facet of the game. Uh, Grice stopping a penalty shot in overtime against Barkov. I think he made 45 saves that night in game five. He was just so ridiculous. So uh, Florida has weapons, like you said. Um, they struggled t towards the end, just like the Islanders did. Huberto and Barkov in particular did not produce the last uh, 10 games or so. And Noel Achari, who had a monster first half, he had two goals in the last 21 games before the pause. So those guys have to be better, just like Bobrovsky. The Panthers are going to advance. I tell you what, though, I answered a mailback question about my sleeper teams, and the Panthers were my one of my sleeper teams because of Bobrovsky, actually. And Sean had mentioned before he came on that he wonders about Bobrovsky because uh, – historically he's a little bit of a slow starter and, yeah. and there's going to be a lot of time off, but I think they're a sleeper team. What about you? Uh, I, I have the jets in the West and the Panthers in the East. Um, take the Islanders Panthers series out of the mix okay. because that's what we, we've focused so much on the Islanders Panthers. You got another sleeper team. I think the Rangers in the East, I think they could be very, very dangerous. If Shesterkin's got – I mean, who knows who's the – Who's, who's the their goalie is, is the right. question. Right, you just don't yeah. know. If it's Shesterkin, yeah. I would think David Quinn has more faith in him. It's not a knock against Hank, but Shesterkin was so good before he got injured. Um, and Zibanejad and Panarin have just been so dangerous for the last few months before the pause. Out West, I have a couple. I think Arizona could be a really tough out. Darcy Kemper is going to be healthy. Uh, and I really like Vancouver. They have a lot of weapons. Markstrom was fantastic. Um, Quinn Hughes is going to be a kid playing with house money. Uh, JT Miller was fantastic for them all season long. Patterson, they have a lot, a lot of weapons. I think Vancouver is going to be awfully dangerous. Well, I I've said that I'm high on Nashville. So that Nashville-Arizona series is a, yeah, should, be be awesome. a real, should be a real uh, barn burner for, for across five games. Yeah, definitely. And is, is Rene going to bounce back? I mean, he didn't have a, a great year per se, right? If Pecorini responds, that's going to be a great series for sure. Right now, would you go with Rene or would you go with Soros? Knowing what we know right now. We don't know what's going to happen in training camp. What do we know right now? That's a great question. I mean, this is not Peter Laviolette, right? It's, it's John Hines. Does, yeah. he does he go with the guy instead of going with Rene, who's been there forever? It's a great question. Soros was clearly better. Uh, for the bulk of the year, the Rene's Rene. It's going to be a very. Uh, I'm sure he's going to get asked once once we once <laughs> training camp opens every single day. Who's your goalie? And he's going to get annoyed. But it's a, it's certainly a fair question to ask. But I don't think that's the biggest question in that series. I think the biggest question is, can Nashville's forwards figure it out? Uh, there is no group that was more underperforming. You could talk about the Islanders and the and the Panthers and how bad they were going into the break for the whole season. If I were to list my biggest disappointment. 
it's the star forwards of the National Predators and what they did. And if they're not any better in the playoffs, it's going to be a short run for them. Uh, or it's all on Soros if he starts. And Roman Yossi, who's a Norris Trophy candidate for sure, because he was just so good all year. There's a lot of questions there, but they have, they have the talent to move forward if they want to. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. You know, in that, that situation, the Rangers situation is very interesting. We touched on it, Brian, before about the goaltending situations. You've got guys, legends on those teams, who've got a ton of playoff experience. Predators, me and Rene, and obviously Lundqvist with the Rangers ton of playoff experience know how to play in these types of series right I don't want to say environments because it's, you know there's not going to be fans in the building but in these types of series the back in the pressure series versus guys like Soros who've never done it but have had a great run and Shesterkin or Georgiev who've never done it but had a great run very difficult decisions to make but I, I think it's sometime you just got to roll it over to the young guy you know, and say, all right, here's your chance. And maybe this is the year to do it, right? Like everything's wild this season. Everything's different. So let's make that transition now. Yeah, just talking to, to Barry Trotz about it. I mean, he's just so excited to get going, just not only because it's been so long since we've gotten to watch a hockey game, but just because <laughs> everybody's healthy and everybody is starting over. Pittsburgh has, is hopefully going to have Jake Kensel ready to go. Uh, you know, the fact that all these teams are just starting from scratch, essentially, uh, and being healthy and having the guys that they didn't thought that they were going to have when, when the playoffs were supposed to roll around, um, it's going to be really, really exciting hockey, I think, from start to finish. And that's the other thing that interests me about that Islanders-Panthers series is the coaching aspect, right? You, you have you have Q and, and you have Trotz, probably the two most experienced coaches, and, and, and two coaches who are not afraid to do the unconventional, to, to change things, to change things. And that's a chess match that's going to be played out, you know, every shift. This is the one series where it's not a no-brainer that Joel Quimble has the edge, right? I mean, yeah. any, other, any other series, like, oh, well, that's easy. But no, you got, <laughs> you got the second all-time winningest coach against the fifth all-time winningest coach. And, uh, you know, the reigning Jack Adams winner who won the Cup two years ago with Washington. So, uh, like you said, Sean, it's going to be a chess match and it's going to be awesome. You know, one of the series, too, that intrigues me is that Pittsburgh-Montreal series. And, you know, we, last week, Sean, remember we talked about Mark Recchi's comments and Mark Recchi was saying, we're going to watch out for Montreal and all that. I mean, it, you know, on paper, it, to me, it doesn't look very close unless Carey Price owns it. But Shea Weber said the Canadians are getting a second chance they wouldn't have had otherwise, and they're ready for it. Do you, Brian, do you think they even have a chance to make good on it against the I Penguins? I don't. I mean, when we did the Super 16 for goalies, I had Price, I think, like 13 or 14. It's not a knock on his career as a whole, but if we're going by this season, is he really all that much better than a lot of these goaltenders? I I haven't seen it personally. Are the Canadians a a great hockey team, top to bottom? No. That's obviously – that's not going to help carry Price's numbers per se, but um, Penguins have been fantastic all year with all the injuries that they had and the way that they just kept rolling and rolling. And Tristan Jarry was fantastic for those guys, so – um, can Carey Price steal a series? Of course he can. It's Carey Price. But judging off the numbers from this year, um, the Canadians are going to have their work cut out for them against the Penguins. And it's a matchup nightmare for the really for is. the for the Canadians. Yeah, right. They just they, they don't have the middle to to deal with Crosby, Malkin, and that whole group. So uh, that's going to be a tough road. And that goes back to the, the to the Pajot Pajotche with the Islanders guys. The teams that go far in the playoffs historically are the ones that are deep down the middle. And like you said, Sean, the Canadians just aren't. Uh, but there is a question on the other side there too, before we wrap up. I mean, well, again, another goaltending question. You got Matt Murray, 
you know, a two-time Stanley Cup champion goaltender, yeah. but he wasn't as good as Tristan Jerry this season. No, he wasn't. Tristan Jerry doesn't have any playoff experience. What does Mike Sullivan do? I'm going with Jerry, honestly. I mean, going by – I know Murray has the resume, like you said, Dan, but he was not good against the Islanders in the playoffs last year. Jerry has outplayed him from the beginning, essentially, this year. You got to go with your best goaltender in that situation, I would think. Yeah, and look, Sullivan has never been shy about nope. – going the way we don't think he's going to go. That's how Matt Murray got two Stanley Cups, right? That's right. Andre right. Fleury was the guy. Yep. Sometimes it was injury, but sometimes it was like, you know what, Mark, Murray's better than Mark andre and I'm going to play him. So I, I don't think he'll have any hesitation at all in saying, Tristan Jerry's my guy, and I don't care about those two Stanley Cup rings, and I don't care what it's going to do to our room. I think that's a veteran enough room where if he – is able to delineate why he's made that decision. Sidney Crosby and if Jenny Malkin and Chris Letang will nod their heads and say, okay, you're 100% right, let's go out and win again. Yeah, I just don't – I don't see how after the season Jerry had that you can look him in the eye and tell him that he's got to sit on the bench and watch these games. I just don't – I don't see that happening. But well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, man, this was great. Love the roundtable, all right? Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. It's good to get Brian on again, Sean. Uh, loved going around the league with him. Good roundtable discussion there. Uh, one thing we hit on before was the Masterson Trophy, and all the awards are going to start getting talked about now that we know the regular season is officially over. And the PHWA members are voting for their awards, but one they don't vote for is the one I wanted to touch on with you, the Jack Adams Award. I got a question uh, in the mailbag this week about Elaine Vigneault and his candidacy the Jack Adams Award, and when you take a close look at it, I think his candidacy is terrific. I think he is spot on, maybe the top candidate for the Jack Adams Award this season for everything he's done with the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, you can't argue with what he's done, and, and, and it follows a pattern, right? He's good wherever he goes that first year, and then things, absolutely things tend to you know slide a little bit. I, he's never been a bad coach per se, but uh, he, he's usually good kind of like uh, – John Tortorella and, and people like that, that first year, he really, it's really a shock, I think, to the player system. So uh, I definitely think he's a candidate, you know, and I was asked about it this week in one of the radio hits I did. And, and you know, for me, it it's some of the coaches that a lot of times I think the coach of the year is the coach who takes over a bad team and makes it better. And look, Travis Green, I think, who we had on has to be in that conversation as well for what he's done. But two guys for me that, that I think deserve a lot of credit or, you know, we talked about one with, with Brian Compton is, is Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh and all the injuries they've had and the fact that, you know, they're there every year. There's never a letdown despite all the games they've played and, and all the mileage that they have. And the other one is, is Bruce Cassidy. Like, I, I think some people thought the Bruins were going to go away this year because they were an older team that, you know, they took that gut punch in game seven. And, and how many times have we talked about the Stanley cup hangover, not only for the winners, but for the losers. And, and here's the Boston Bruins, one of the older teams in the league having gone through four rounds of the playoffs. And at the, at the pause, they were the best team in the league and probably the odds on favorite for the Stanley cup. So, you know, I, I think Bruce, despite the fact that he had a really good team deserves a lot of credit for the way he's kind of, marshaled them and kept them focused so they can be the best team in the league. Yeah, no question. I, I mentioned AV. There's also a few others. You can throw John Tortorella into that mix uh, for everything he's done with Columbus this season. Uh, all those injuries and, and the lower expectations after everybody they lost. And Paul Maurice with the Jets, uh, their defense got shredded. Uh, helps when you have a good goaltender. Connor Hellebuck's been a great goaltender this season. So a couple of names, but the awards are coming around and, 
We'll start hearing more and more about them. It's also anniversary time, right? I mean, we're getting a lot of cup-winning goal anniversaries. And I wanted to, to call attention to one that Mike Zeisberger, our colleague at NHL.com, he wrote about the 20th anniversary now, and I can't believe it's been 20 years, of Jason Arnott's double OT cup-clinching goal in Dallas for the New Jersey Devils. It was a terrific story. I urge you to go on NHL.com and read it from, from Zeis. Uh, some great stuff in that story, also about the aftermath of Scott Stevens flexing with Goldberg, the wrestler, and you know the, 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 the main cup couldn't get there, so they had to bring in the other cup that sits in the Hall of Fame, the display cup uh, for his parade. Uh, some really interesting stuff in there from Zeis. I can't believe it's been 20 years. And I'm sure you were at that game, right, Sean? I was. It was the first uh, cup final I covered for the NHL. I had just joined the NHL earlier in the year. It was the first final. I've covered everyone since for NHL.com, but that was the first one. And uh, it, it was an unbelievable – I mean, that was the game that Peter Sikora got hurt, was in the hospital. Yeah. Larry Robinson came out and, and wore Sikora's jersey backwards for the, for the cup presentation. And, and, you know, I did see Goldberg afterwards. I also saw the boys from Pantera, and I was really torn about whether to go into the Dallas locker room <laughs> to go tell them how big a fan I was of them or actually do my job and go into the, into the Devils room and do the interviews I needed to do. And the job won out, as it usually does, and I went and did my interviews. But I still regret that I didn't chase down the Pantera boys and tell them <laughs> how happy I was to see them. But, uh, yeah, and, and the other thing in that story that's unbelievable is I guess the cup that stays in the Hall of Fame is heavier um, than the other oh, cup. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, you know, I'm trying to remember it. Mike told me this story, and I don't know if it actually made the, the cut onto the site, but he was so tired from lifting it because it was even heavier than the, the normal one, which weighs 30-something pounds. So, um, But it's been great because all these games are happening now. The other anniversary that's coming up this week is the 94 Cup, you know, with the Devils and, and Vancouver, which was the first Stanley Rangers Cup Rangers in Vancouver. Don't, don't – uh... Oh, man, that was close. That was close. (laughs) That was the Eastern Conference Final, but the the Rangers and the Canucks, that was the first one I covered in the newspaper business after moving here from Jersey, and and still can't believe that I got to experience that because that's one of the greatest moments in the NHL's history just because of, you know, the Rangers and how important they are to the league. and, And, you know, hockey was king after that. Yeah. Because New York yeah. had won, and it was an unbelievable time to be a hockey fan in this area. So it's been really fun as as we wait for hockey to start and to make new memories to kind of relive some of the older memories, not only ones that we've lived through, but the ones that we grew up on and never really knew enough about. So I think as a young hockey fan, it must be amazing right now to learn, to have the time to learn about all these games that we've seen and that we take for advantage i guess you know that we know that what happened that we forget that there's a whole generation of fans that are learning this history as we go along you know it's going to be strange before we close this out in about 20 years from now or 20 years from october there's going to be an anniversary for when the stanley cup was awarded in 2020 as they're starting a new season so (laughs) that's going to be a strange one but let's hope we get there sean and another good podcast in the books Glad we were able to catch up with Travis Green and Brian Compton to go around the league and hit a lot on the Canucks and Islanders especially. I'll tell you what, that oral history of of the cup that's going to be awarded this year is going to be something else because this is going to be a story – that's bigger than sports. The, the work that's going to go into making this happen, if it happens, it is going to be 
astronomical and you won't even be able to tell the story in 10 oral histories and and we're yeah. going to be lucky enough to live it and tell it in real time on on this podcast so you know that's a real blessing for us and, and i'm looking forward to chronicling it for the next couple of months and we'll chronicle the next week in hockey when we come back next week so sean this was great we'll be back next week listen rate review us and everybody stay safe